This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, this is DJ Silvis, your Moonbase Theta Out creator and various producey things as well. I just wanted to start out by welcoming you all to this little cast chat we're going to have. This is the post-season three chat. We've done little interviews after each season. Um, first one we did Lehman and I, the second one we did Cass and I. This time we wanted to talk to particularly some of the new cast we've added this season. We added a lot of people for season three. We went from, what, I think six to 29 cast members. So yeah, and we've got a few of these bright and shining stars here to talk to us today. I'd like to start out by giving everyone a chance to introduce themselves and give their pronouns and talk about who they play. So I'll start out. I am DJ Silvis. I am the writer and creator of the show. I also play the Enclave Officer. My pronouns are they, them. So Cass, would you like to jump in? Sure. I'm Cass McPhee. I'm a co-producer on the show uh, and I play Michelle Langlois. My pronouns are he, him primarily. Why don't we go down the list here, uh, Shade? Hello, I'm Shade Oyamakinwa, pronouns they, them. I play Monica Parker. Yay. <laughs> uh, how about Cole? Hi, my name is Cole Burkhart. My pronouns are he, him, and I play Jackson. Leslie? Hi, my name is Leslie Gideon, and I play Elena. And my pronouns are she, her. Uh, David? My name is David S. Deer, pronouns he, him, and I play Dr. Edwin Just. And Hazel? Hello, I am Hazel Stapp. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I play Dr. Serrano. The first thing that someone asked was, do you have any favorite scenes slash revelations slash plot twists in this season, either involving your character or in general? And I will mention as well that this is going to come out after the season, so you can talk about anything up through the finale if you'd like. Mm. So any favorite scenes, revelations, plot twists that you wanted to talk about? As a general thing for Monica, uh, I really liked how she was semi-productive of Reception Bot <laughs> because um, old do was creepy. And <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm very glad that Monica was like, I don't care if it's a robot. You're, you're gross. Don't do that shit. <laughs> oh, are we allowed to curse? I just cursed. Oh, Absolutely. We, we, are, okay. we, are, we are firmly established at this point as a you know, explicit show, so... I could have listened to an to an interview that had cursing an hour ago, and I still would have asked. But <laughs> but that is a general thing because I love robots, so I was like, I was very glad that Monica and I were on the same page there. And as just a general revelation that she knew where her daughter was the whole damn time. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was delicious <laughs> so much. But yeah, it was those. For Elena, when we first initially meet her, we meet her through the eyes of being a love interest character. So we don't really get to know her as a person. And just in general, throughout the series, getting to playfully banter with people and tease people and be more of a well-rounded person was so much fun, uh, especially the bantering, because she does have, a, you know, a, a little bit of a kick to her. She is very willing to verbally spar with people. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was really great to flesh her out this season. Mine is not specific to um, my character that I play necessarily. It's more to the the revival, the resuscitation of um, Officer Langlois. <laughs> I, I found that mm. it, because it just creates a great kind of a pivot for that character. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of pretty enrapted with that whole, the kind of unlayering and unfolding and the kind of, roller coaster that he was going through (laughs) it adds another layer of drama to everything already going on yes Uh, and it was a it was i think a a a great not like plot twist but definitely a a great implementation Mm -hmm. yes yeah i know um Cass was a bit nervous about those scenes so (laughs) I was like, oh, oh, I have to do real acting TM pending. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but um it was it was actually a lot of fun. Um and uh yeah, I I I'm pretty happy with what uh, what I did this season and I'm really happy with how that character kind of you know, like we're we're only still just in the process of turning the the corner, like as an audience on what that character it, it kind of feels like to us, but I think at least now we're sort of like, okay, well, before I was, it was grudging, grudging acceptance of the fact that maybe you're not completely horrible. Now it's like, oh, fine. You're just damaged. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll move on to the next question, which was, would you want to be your character? <laughs> <laughs> like in, in real life? I guess, uh, I guess that's all that's all they said. Um, I, I guess I'll start out with Enclave Officer and say definitely not, but <laughs> feel free to move on from that. Uh, this is Sade saying, heck no. Monica's <laughs> life sounds exhausting. <laughs> and that's the way it is with like all these um, manipulators who like are very comfortable stepping on people as they move forward. It's like, it's just so much to juggle. But she has a mountain, though. She does have a mountain. Yeah, and she's not there. She doesn't get to enjoy the mountain. (laughs) Because she also wants... It's like she wants to have her cake and eat it, too. It's like she has the mountain, but she... uh, It's just... It's so exhausting. But, like, as a character, I... Like, this is my fave type of character. Just (laughs) these elder women who know exactly what the fuck they're doing and are very comfortable, like, fucking you up to get what they want. (laughs) <laughs> I really want her to wind up there, though. I really want her to wind up in like her James Bond-esque mountain hideaway. One day we'll get to see that mountain. <laughs> no, I don't want to be Monica. Her life is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just, just see a mountain. Not as Monica, just, you know, like in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I uh, I don't. I don't want to be Michelle, but also, <laughs> I mean, it, it, listen, there are certain aspects of him that I wish I could kind of glean without... Um, Maybe taking the dickishness without uh, being a cop. <laughs> yeah, um, 
I wish I could take his ability to actually kind of fight for what he needs and wants. Uh, I'm bad at that. And so I just don't do it a lot of the time. And he does it too aggressively. Um, but at least there's some drive there to be like, no, this is what I need. Damn it. And it's like, um, c- can I have like just a, just a taste of that, please? I will say for Elena, I don't think we're too dissimilar in personality to begin with. I think she's a little bit more extroverted than I am. I think that would be the main difference. Um, so I don't think I would mind being her, but I think like everyone has said, to a certain extent, I do not want her life. I do not want the circumstances <laughs> in which she is living because that seems like a lot. Well, let's be fair. I haven't created the most accommodating world for any of these characters. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd mind being Jackson. <laughs> um, uh, we're not like, uh, like Leslie said, we're not like dissimilar. Uh, Jackson has a lot of the same quirks that I do, although I am a little bit better at talking to people. A little bit. Uh, But, like, I from what I can tell besides just the general situation, they have, like, a good family at home um, or at least a big family um, and also they get to do science and bake in space. What what more do you need? (laughs) I certainly would not want to be Dr. Just. (laughs) Dr. Justin, he's just so serious in business and, and I don't see him taking tremendous joy in what he does. I think he's very driven and his focus is really intense, but I, I'm the sort who loves, loves to laugh and loves to play. And I just don't see just being either (laughs) indulging in either of those things maybe a contemptuous snort is the best you can get from him (laughs) (laughs) well i don't think that most of the people he's around every day are folks that he wants to laugh with right yeah (laughs) and day being his thorn yes speaking of which hazel yeah would you want to be uh dr serrano uh, no. Um, <laughs> Dr. Serrano is uh, kind of a jerk and awful. Um, <laughs> based on uh, the IPM episode, um, I was not expecting her to be quite so, I guess, like a minor villain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, I enjoyed uh, playing her and... Uh, it's interesting playing a character who's like a minor villain and also comedic relief. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's very interesting. Um, I kind of like the comedy bits, but uh, yeah, I would not want to be her. She has some uh, views that I don't really agree with. So, But you would get unlimited hedgehogs. <laughs> well, that is true. And also, uh, bossing people around so I always get the best food isn't that bad either. That's true. <laughs> but some of the other aspects are not so great. So I think I will pass on being Dr. Serrano as a actual person. That's fair. And our next question actually sort of ties into that, which is, would you like to hang out with your character? Or if not, which character in the show would you like most to meet and spend time with? I'm going to take the obvious answer and say the dog's. I would love to spend time with the dogs. (laughs) As for my own character, like I said, um, Elena and I are pretty similar. So I feel like we would have a really fun day of just like shopping, going outside, chatting, gossiping. Like we would definitely get along and it would definitely be a fun time. But I mean, the dogs is the obvious answer. (laughs) (laughs) We do have one of our 
smaller sort of throwaway questions at the end was that someone wanted us to ask all of you whether or not Cass and Paul are very good girls. So <laughs> they are. Spoiler well, they alert. are. They are very good girls. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll skip to that. But now, yeah, let's jump back. Um, everyone else, would you like to hang out with your characters or someone else you would rather hang out with? I want to hang out with Nessa. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, too soon. <laughs> Rip. No, but like even so, Nessa just seems like is is such a delight. Um, like I love Jackson. I'll, I'll for sure hang out with Jackson. We can make chocolate chip cookies and sing off key together. But like... Yeah, Nessa's very easy to to find delightful. I don't know if this would be a surprise or not, but I would enjoy spending time with Monica. <laughs> um, because here's the thing. It would be very simple and very easy because she is going to stick to the, stick to the social script. <laughs> it is not going to be difficult for me. I know what to do when I get in there. We'll get in, do the whatever the hangout has to be it'll be done and then i'll get out simple she will not make it difficult for me we will go through the motions (laughs) and there will be it's like i may be nervous but i'll know exactly what to do oh here's the part where beverage is offered to me here's the part where we make small talk whatever small talk technically counts as here's the part where i leave wonderful done (laughs) (laughs) People are confusing, and Monica would make it very less confusing. I might have to say, I, I two characters actually. Uh, one would be Jackson. Jackson, as long as you kind of know how to navigate your relationship with Jackson, I think it would be, I think it'd be interesting and sweet and fun. And the other character, actually, oddly enough, Tumnus. I'd like to have a front row seat on that kind of whole self-discovery and and that kind of maniacal swing of that has accompanied that wouldn't wouldn't be off-putting to me, oddly enough. May I also second Tumnus as well? Tumnus rocks. I would I would love to hang mm-hmm. out with Tumnus, Tumnus for a bit. Yeah. Indeed. You're here. Tumnus would be high on my list. I mean, to be fair, Tumnus is also played by one of my best friends in the world, but <laughs> But yeah, or Ashwini for that matter. Although Ashwini, I think I would want a very like delineated time of spending. I was to be spent together, so I knew when I was getting out. Mm-hmm. Ashwini is too cool for me. <laughs> <laughs> Ashwini is one of those people. I'd meet them and I'd be like, I wouldn't even try because I'm like, this person's way too cool for me. It's like I'm, I must, I'm, I must go away. <laughs> I would love to drink with Wilder. Yes. <laughs> uh huh. Like, I wouldn't even necessarily need to be booze or anything, but, like, you know, like, I can just get the uh, the impression that, like, just h- hanging out with Wilder and just, like, shooting the shit would be pretty fun. I feel like they could drink me under the table, and I'm ready to try it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I second uh, basically everybody's. Um, Jackson, Wilder, Tumnus, Nessa, definitely. <laughs> And uh, would I hang out with uh, Dr. Serrano? You know, I think that, uh, well, I already said that I wouldn't want to be her, but I think that we have enough in common um, that if certain topics didn't get hit upon, that I would uh, probably enjoy hanging out with them. And unlimited hedgehogs. But you're not allowed to pet them if you're her friend, though. 
Um, I mean, I could, I could, I could look at them. I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that Hazel would be allowed to pet them. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, in in the name of helping to study them, you know, have absolutely to, mm-hmm. uh, for science, measure their bristle strength and everything, and you know, you have to do that by hand. So yeah, uh, <laughs> cool. I mean, none of you said Enclave Officer, but that's fine. (laughs) Nobody nobody wants to hang out with me. Really? I mean, we want to hang out with you, just not Enclave Officer. Yeah. Because we have taste. (laughs) I just want to curl up with a nice big pack of ensoyment. Who doesn't? (laughs) Who doesn't? This is specifically for, it says for anyone who was already in season two, but I think if you were in like, bonus episodes or anything at that point too because several of you were in the ipm episode where the scientists were introduced it says any thoughts about comparison between your character in two and three or generally the differences in being involved in the show between those two seasons and you might have thoughts just from hearing listening to it too and what you were expecting coming into season three and what the way it actually happened so um I mean, it was a big <laughs> it was a big difference for me. I came into season two as an actor. And then season three, I ran the crowdfunding campaign for it. Uh, so that was a bit different, like just on the production side. But uh, from an acting standpoint, we already touched a little bit on Michelle had. He actually is having a bit of an arc. Oh, baby's first arc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was a lot of fun. But it was also really fun to, I mean, not even just looking at uh, Michelle, but just it was great to have people in a room doing rehearsals together. Like, I think that that really helped us to flesh out our characters a lot and, um, and just see like how the dynamic was actually going to come together. Like I read the scripts and I was like, these are good scripts. But like when I heard them with people's voices behind them, I was like, Oh, these are good scripts. (laughs) Yeah. That was definitely a big difference for us. um, Production wise in season one, of course it was just mostly Lehman and I, but in season two, we still, um, we didn't really rehearse anything live. I just sent everything to the actors and um, we did actually do a rehearsal process like we did for season three, but we, they, they just did it on their own. Like they just recorded a draft version, sent it to me and then I revised. Uh, so it was interesting. Well, it was a definitely interesting schedule wise, but it was interesting getting everyone into the same virtual room to read through things for season three. David, Hazel, you were definitely in like the IPM episode, and Hazel already talked a little bit about the difference between the character. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the way the scientists joined the story in season three? It, it was really an interesting way to bring them in because you had them, it, it, they were so science-focused that it really kind of made it, you didn't have to, you let them rely on them being scientists to kind of introduce their characters and their motivations within the story rather than it it saved having to do a tremendous amount of backstory for listeners to say, okay, I'm going to accept these new characters in. The other thing I think helped really kind of build or create them and bring, give them presence in a new season with introducing them is to have already established dynamics like even something like the relationship with Dr. Just and Dr. Day is obviously there's just an irritant with him and a disregard with her. Uh, but you can also look at the relationship with Dr. Just and Dr. Serrano. And that's an interesting relationship because it gives just a little bit more dimension because obviously he is not as bristly with her. He's They have an established rapport and of course he's his tolerance is short for everything, but 
there's a little more breathing room with Serrano. And, and so when you, when you have those and you see all those interplays with, with all the scientists and they have their each their own dynamics. I think it really made it easy for people to go, well, where did these guys come from? It wasn't like, you know, the show's going to jump the shark and all of a sudden they adopted a kid. It, it didn't feel <laughs> like that at all. So I thought, I thought it was a great way to bring all the scientists in. Yeah. I think that was part of why we wound up starting with them as the first revivals, because people did know at least a little bit about them and, we were able to bring that that relationship back. But then it was fun to sort of start seeding things too, because those relationships definitely change a lot over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, like Hazel was talking about before with Dr. Serrano, like she becomes a lot more standoffish and a lot more sort of dictatorial over the season. And that causes like Dr. Just to basically like have to shut her down at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course we all know, Again, since this will be ha- after the season, we all know that Dr. Day turns out to have <laughs> unexpected depths, shall we say. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this season, like personally, just to write his characters, was growing this little background relationship between Dr. Ringling and Dr. Simon. Yeah. So I really loved like slowly like bleeding that in in the background, too. Hmm. So for Elena, we meet her very, very briefly before season three through the lens of being one of Nessa's partners. And when we get to see more of her in season three, we we see those changes in her. Because when we first meet her, she is very much playful and fun and carefree. And partly because we just get to see more of her in season three, we get to see more of how that loss affects her. She's still the same person at her core. We still see her bantering and playing around and caring for the people around her. And she cares very deeply, but there are those moments of pain, of hurt, of introspection. Um, We see that a lot when she is naming the flowers. That's her little tribute to Nessa. And I really wanted to take those moments and make them feel a little bit more introspective, a little bit sadder, because that is, a heavy pain to carry, especially in the circumstances where she is now, where they're literally worlds apart. Um, So I think it was just great to explore those different depths of both her circumstances and fleshing out her character as a whole. Yeah. And I, I definitely, you can definitely feel like the difference in, uh, in how you played her as well, that in season three, she's, she's resolute. She's determined, but she's, gone through so much to make it to where we see her again. Yeah. Did anybody else have anything for that question before we move on? Um, just about, or even just about the differences between season two and three in general, if you had listened to the show before and then you got cast in season three, you were probably not expecting (laughs) exactly the sort of thing we brought. Well, I got cast for the IPM episode and I had not listened to the show. So <laughs> I was very confused going in about what was going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not the best place to start from. Yeah, but I have listened to the show since then. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, IPM 2, 3, um, like the scientists, um, all of their personalities, uh, I think, carry over very well. It's just that they get they get more fleshed out. So we learn more about them. We learn about how, oh, well, 
maybe uh, Dr. Serrano's a lot worse than we realized she was in that last uh, time we saw her. And it was, like I mentioned earlier, it was definitely an interesting move <laughs> between <laughs> the two because I wasn't expecting a lot of the things. But, um, you know, they certainly make sense. Um, I think everything makes sense with um, what I remember from Dr. Serrano and IPM. Um, I'm not thinking it over. I think that really does fit her character pretty well. But yeah, it was it was a bit of a surprise um, <laughs> finding that out. Um, as somebody who was a listener before they got cast, just even in the initial like, what is it? Cast meeting? I'm just going to say yeah. cast meeting before we even got the scripts. Um, just hearing how the whole season was going to play out, it felt like going from season two to season three. It felt like it just got so much huger. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. the scale, ridic- like you were saying at the very beginning, like you went from like like six to like 29 yeah. <laughs> cast members. And like the character I'm playing, like all these main characters we've come to love these past two seasons, they are all tangential at best to my <laughs> character. They're like... At best, like one or two of them are like a direct means to an end. But other than that, everyone else is a name, if that. And it's just the expanse. It's so expansive. It's gone so huge. And uh, just gone from two to three. And I'm like, I'm, what's this going to look like in season four? <laughs> How, uh, is this exponential growth? How much? Uh, so it just, mm-hmm. it's just, you feel it. You feel like the size and importance in your bones and I get exci- and I got excited about it. So, yeah. I uh, I feel a bit bad. I got brought on and had only listened to the first season so I didn't know anything that was going on for the first listen through and then ended up uh listening to the entire uh, getting caught up in basically a day and just <laughs> from one single narrator to now 30 people was uh, a very fun to listen to, and B just kind of awe-inspiring of just how big it's gotten. <laughs> it's definitely been interesting managing mm-hmm. it all, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we moved from in two to two to three. We moved from, of course, monologues to more dialogue. We moved from more retrospection to immediate action. Mm-hmm. We moved from talking about the same storyline to all of a sudden nobody knew what was going to happen next. And of course I played into that every episode. (laughs) And it it plays out well. It like, it expands in a way that feels natural. Well, thank you. I mean, we worked really hard on that. (laughs) Cass took like watched me every second to make sure I didn't go too far. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cass, I was going to ask you as well um, before we, move on from this. And this is like, I think the last really big question anyway, most of the things after this are um, a little bit smaller. Um, I was going to ask you about the difference between season two and season three, as far as um, bringing Maria into it, Mm. because Maria is only like barely mentioned at the end of season two. That's only when we find out she exists. And then all of a sudden there was the um, before the moon episode. And then all the stuff that happens in season three. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's been really cool to watch that character, um, you know, kind of take on a life. And of course, uh, Cat Blackard, just right from the the get go on on that um, 
uh, on the before the moon episode kind of knocked it out of the park with like, oh, we get it. We know who this character is and she's ready to fight. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it was really cool to to see that uh, to see that kind of get fleshed out and to see to see Michelle kind of, you know, actually have to wrangle with the fact that like maybe he has. You know, like he's sort of like, no, I don't need nobody. And then it's sort of like, actually, I super need this one person. Like, you don't understand. It's really cool. Uh, as we've kind of slowly peeked into that that dynamic between them and seeing kind of what Maria is made of. And I think it's going to be really nice to see maybe a little bit more. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> we're going to get a big chunk of that in the first postseason bonus episode as well. So. Yeah, I just uh, I finished the dialogue edit on that a few days ago, and it's uh, it's really good. I'm so looking forward to people hearing it. The next question I actually added in, I snuck in one of my own, which <laughs> was, and don't feel like you have to worry about my writerly opinion on this one. What I wanted to say is, um, I wanted to ask you is, what do you feel you were able to add to your character as it was written? What do you think that you brought to it that wasn't there to start with? Because that's always a huge part for me as a writer and as a director to leave it open for the actors to put themselves into it and to bring more to it. That's part of why we rehearse the way we do. And I'd just like to see what you thought you were able to bring to your, your these people you voiced. Okay, so with Monica, the writing for her is very straightforward, which I love. I love the way she talks. Like, it's very straightforward and... I'm going to be bad with words real quick. Okay. What I think I brought is something I think was technically already there, but I don't think it would have shown through as just writing um, in that uh, just the motherly shit, you know, and <laughs> feelings. <laughs> She's obviously a person with feelings. She obviously cares about her family. She cares about herself and, her people like one of my favorite tropes is I'm evil. I don't give a crap about any of y'all unless you're one of my people, then I would die for you. And mm. Monica gives off that vibe to me. I don't know if you put it there, but I sure as hell did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of those things. It's like one of those things. It's like, mm, I think this is what Deej meant, but if it's not, it's what Deej means now. <laughs> and so that's what essentially was with monica it's like ooh, i love a bad bitch with feelings so for elena and i touched a little bit on this before about um her character and her dealing with grief um for people who may not know me or be familiar with my work grief and loss is a subject that is very personal to me and that's also something that i use a lot in my own work in my own writing so something I wanted to bring to Elena that um, wasn't necessarily fully explicit in the writing is how grief changes the way you interact with the world. Even if you're not actively feeling that pain in the moment, there is a fundamental shift that happens within oneself that comes from losing someone very close to you and very special and important to you. As I mentioned with Elena Previously, when we met her for those brief snippets or in the flashback before the moon, she is very open and caring and carefree and fun-loving. And while she still is all of those things, I wanted to add a little bit of heaviness to her, even in those moments where she is playing with the dogs or bantering with friends. There's still that element of a part of her has been changed forever 
by this horrible loss that she has gone through. And that's something I hope came through in the performance I gave for her, but that's something that was very important to me personally to make sure that that felt more authentic to loss and the grieving experience. Yeah, I definitely heard the difference there. And I think that, um, again, to sort of tease the audience a little bit, because this will come out before the bonus episodes, the final bonus episode, the fourth one, is going to be going back to Elena and the other folks in the free zone. And the work that you did there, I think, really brought that out in really, like, really big, important ways. Uh, DG, you and I had a a pretty... Uh, pretty big conversation about uh, exactly who Jackson was because I came in and like the script was like Jackson whistles a tune or or, like hums something and I'm like well what is well what does music sound like in this day and age Um, what what has influenced Jackson by like their family or the way music has evolved on on earth um, because that would be the things that Jackson would find comfort in. Um, and we talked a lot about like family and, and things like that. And so I was kind of able to, to, to what I think was work out what was most important, which is, and I don't know that anyone else is going to pick it up, but the tune that Jackson hums is the one that Nessa hums when Nessa's working and like they're going through old tapes and stuff. Because if they spent most of their time in the garden and like working with Nessa, of course they're gonna pick up some habits or songs that that uh, that have been sung. Finding comfort in people on the station when uh, Jackson can't do that from people at home. I did not know that, and that is so sweet. <laughs> That's mm. a very yeah. nice touch. Yeah, it actually. Um, there's a little question at the end to one of the folks on discord asked um, whether the um, little work to be done thing that we have Jackson do a lot was from a real song. And so you've kind <laughs> yeah. of just answered that too. It's it's from a tune that Nessa hums in, in, in one of the earlier seasons. And I think that too, it was something that she was just making up on the fly. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I originally went in and I worked a lot with, with you as an actor, I worked a lot with my sensitivity reader for mm-hmm. writing Jackson with the idea of singing being one of their particular stims, singing mm-hmm. being one of their things, and how that would come out and how it would work. And I really think that you added so much to that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I do when I'm stressed in real life as well. Um, I'll like hum to myself. Um, or or listen to songs on repeat that I find comfort in. Um, so it was very easy to, like I said, Jackson and I share a lot of the same quirks, so it was very easy to translate that into into them. Interestingly enough, my approach to Doctor Just is is a bit different than I think a lot of my my uh, fellow actors, and because I f- I really wanted to, I, I guess my interpretation personally was that there was a a lot of function to his character and at least it it felt like in the writing that he needed to kind of serve as a, as kind of like the, the trajectory for the science bros in a way. Yeah. So as a result, uh, I didn't try to make him multidimensional. I kind of wanted him to serve as, I, I don't want to say a foil. I don't know if that's the right term, but kind of the same function a foil does, which is to really be the catalyst to to let all the other actors and all of 
everything they're bringing to their roles kind of to elevate that by just being kind of a grounding post. Uh, so that's that's kind of the, the approach I decided to take because I really wanted to facilitate that. And I should have clarified with you, <laughs> to be honest, but I want But I, I felt like that's kind of how he was written. So I wanted to honor that. Yeah, and for sure. And I, I felt like that worked. He's sort of the, he's the, he's the father of the lab since Ashwini is an absent parent at the best of times. Um, <laughs> and I feel like, especially after the IPM episode where we had centered so much on him and centered so much on the tardigrade experiments and everything that when we brought the scientists into it as a um, sort of full comedy team <laughs> in <laughs> season three, that he was the, the, the moral core of that, the center of that. And I feel like, yeah, you, you really like brought up a lot to that. I mean, you are always sort of in the, in the silliest roles you play, you still have this sense of like moral integrity to it that I think makes it even funnier or makes it even more personable. <laughs> oh, good. Before we jump out of this cast, you don't have to say anything, but I wanted to just call you out anyway, because there is no question that the reason why there are people who Michelle is one of their favorite characters is you. Michelle's so good. It is absolutely, it is absolutely not me, at least in, in season two. Michelle is also one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Thank you. And I like him, but so much of that was, I mean, Cass's portrayal, especially in season two, it's so easy to take that character too far to one side. Honestly, didn't we have a bonus episode uh, uh, during the remixed thing? I think Lehman recorded a Michelle monologue. Yeah. Uh, And I think that shows like how easy it would be to make him just the slimiest, like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, like, you know, he just, he took him down a more villain path with that read. It was great and totally valid, but like, definitely, I don't think people would, would have, would have enjoyed, (laughs) would have liked Michelle at all (laughs) if he was more that way. What I tried to bring to Michelle was um, just vulnerability, which is hard because uh, that's one thing that Michelle and I have in common. And that's, we don't like to be vulnerable. I cover it up with making jokes. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like just finding that kind of common ground and, and um, yeah, just, just trying not to trying not to be somebody else with it and just trying to be, you know, uh, bring it as much of myself to it as I could. I have to applaud the work you did and do as Michelle. Absolutely. I think one of the things too, and, and Deej, I don't want to take anything away from you because there is a, there are aspects that are, that I think make it, make that character work really well to not be this kind of caricature. I think one of the things that does it is, is where the motivation lies. My personal interpretation is that uh, Michelle Langlois is so especially in season two was just very determined to kind of pull off this you know I, I've got this mandate everybody's sticking to it I'm going to do my little subterfuge kind of thing um, but interestingly it's done in this weird almost like it's he's propelled by the his his own reluctance to the fact that this was not a choice. He almost carries it out as almost like this is his life purpose, but mm-hmm. he was thrust into the role without any, you know, say over what his assignment was going to be or what he was going to do. 
So there's this weird kind of angry resentment that almost gets channeled into that. And that I think gives, gives him so much more dimension. I have to agree. I, I think that that was a really cool aspect for us to, you know, further explore this season, but it got just to start un- untangling it in season two was really fun. This was from um, Claudia, our friend Claudia, who runs um, Starfall, which has just released their cast list today Yay. and a few other fun shows, um, <laughs> Beacon. But she asked, on a scale of science bros to science nose, how much science does the cast actually understand? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am enthusiastic about science, but I understand none of it. <laughs> Please tell me more about the stars in space. I will not understand a goddamn word, but I will love to listen to you talk. <laughs> I am in the same boat. I love science. There's a handful of things that I have vaguely grasped, mm-hmm. but in, in general, I appreciate science, but I do not understand it. <laughs> I don't know. In terms of Deja's writing on the show, it's like when I hear the scientists... And everybody say science-related things. It's like, ah, oh, that makes sense. But don't ask me to do anything with it. It's like, yeah, I'm following this conversation, but I'm. don't put me in that situation, though. More with it. That's pretty much it, yeah. I like science more uh, on aspects of the technology that's born from it mm. and the fiction that is born from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it feels a little, it's a little more dry to me. But those aspects of it, I love. Actual science these days, we did shit like Elon Musk. Yeah. Like, no, no. Give, give me, give me moon based theta. <laughs> <laughs> give me Wolf three fifty nine. Let's do this. <laughs> Want to have some fun? Elon's not even the one doing the science. He just pays other people to do the science. I know. <laughs> Talk about a science bro. We all got hyped <laughs> up on science in elementary school from Bill Nye, and then. They just sucked it out of us in middle school by making it boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I enjoy science. Um, I know a little bit, not anything specific. Don't know anything about hedgehogs, in case you're wondering. <laughs> no. I used to, in, I guess it would be junior high, I used to do organic chemistry diagramming for fun. Ooh. Mm. So, yeah, I, I enjoy science and... Uh, I don't really know anything, but uh, <laughs> I do I do weird stuff like that that people think is hard, and I'm just like, this is really easy and fun. Yeah, it's like diagramming sentences. It's like... Yeah, I love diagramming sentences. Yeah, too. it's like if you look at it and you don't know what you're doing, it looks ridiculous, but then you take one class in high school, then it's, oh, then it's, then it's just what it is. And to be fair... Um... Dr. Serrano's hedgehog experience experiments are probably the ones I fudge the most. Mm. I do um, <laughs> huge amounts of research normally just because it like fascinates me and almost none of it winds up in the script, which annoys me to no end. But, um, <laughs> but, but Dr. Serrano was basically, there had been the throwaway reference in the very first episode, I think about hedgehogs when Lehman is talking about the experiments being shut down. And so I was like, okay, so I have to put a hedgehog experiment in there somewhere. What, what, what could be the testing about hedgehogs? And there is no reason at all <laughs> yes, there why, is. Anyone would, why anyone would be, would be on the moon testing hedgehog bristle strength. <laughs> yes. It amused me. It's like, what am I doing with these hedgehogs? Nobody really knows, but I'm doing <laughs> some kind of science with these hedgehogs. <laughs> I think you just like them. 
It's just mm. a good excuse to have head yeah. jobs. I mean, sometimes you ha- you're just passionate about your research and you learn stuff, and it's up to other people to apply that practically. <laughs> Doctor Serrano's just mm-hmm. passionate about hedgehogs. That's all. And sometimes you just want a class pet. I kind of I have some other kind of secret research that I'm doing that nobody knows about, and the hedgehogs are just a cover. <laughs> oh no! See, because you never do let anybody near that table. So. Oh. <laughs> We thought it was Dr. Day, but maybe. I was going to make a joke right there about inserting the Marge Simpson. I just think they're neat. I just think they're neat. (laughs) Which leads to the next question, which was someone asked what your favorite memes are. Because, of course, memes are a big moon-based thing. All memes just left my head as soon as I was asked that question. I know. That's what happens as soon as a question like like that enters the... I have a lot of vines stuck in my head. I was going to ask, do vines count as memes? I think they do. Uh, this is relevant particularly for today, since I just gave a talk about monsters, but there's that one vine of uh, the dude, Adam, who's like, like and subscribe if you think being haunted is kind of hot. And that just, <laughs> that, just, that just loops in my head every single day. <laughs> I love the references and callbacks to Futurama. Mm. Those are my favorites. <laughs> That's fair. They just tickle me like, welcome to the world of tomorrow. Kill all <laughs> Good news, everyone. And welcome to the world of tomorrow is in season three as a joke. I cannot think of like a meme of the classic early 2000s meme format. But my favorite vine is, and this is hard to explain because it's very visual, but it's the the three guys in a car and one of them has a Kermit Muppet. And he's yes. Yes. I don't know what the Shorty, song is called. Shorty, I know. Heck yeah. <laughs> Just every Kermit meme. Yes. Kermit <laughs> drinking Lipton tea from that commercial. That's a good one. Kermit and his evil <laughs> doppelganger. Just every Kermit meme. Yes. Do it. <laughs> and more, more recently, more recently was when that uh, sea shanty was floating around on oh, TikTok. No. One oh, yeah. did, someone did one with Kermit. Oh, and no. like doing doing the accompaniment and that was perfect with kermit anything with kermit really yes okay i just remembered mine okay (laughs) i remember because it's literally the only meme i've ever constructed myself um i think it was what year is it uh last year or the year before last time is a lie um the joust podcast came out um i freaking love the joust podcast they use tarot cards to figure out what happens throughout the month Ooh. And it's like it was this whole joust tournament with four like um, jousters. Anyway, um, first episode, they were talking shit about one of the four characters, and they were saying, you know, we don't, we are not going to say who wins. It's like it's up to the cards. We're going to be objective. And so I used the meme from what's that uh, that show? I forget the name of that show with the lady who is the mom in Archer. That's. Oh, oh, Arrested Arrested Development. Yes, the Arrested Development. She's like, are you saying I play favorites? I love all my children equally. And then a few, uh, like half an hour earlier, I don't care for blank. And so I did that with, (laughs) I did that with them in their very first episode. (laughs) And that's like my favorite. (laughs) I I just love the, I'm going to go to a classic. I'm going to go for the classic, which is a name drop for something that everybody should get excited about, which is all your base. Mm, I love the meme. I love the implementation of the, the wonderfully bad translation of that video game. And I just, you know, and I just love that very silly old 
ancient video game. Do you remember the, the song that they that, that got made f- with it? it? Wasn't it just like, all your bass, your bass, <laughs> bass, bass. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like a techno oh, tro- you know, track. That's like <laughs> one of the first memes. <laughs> Somebody was like, haha, and I'm just putting that phrase into, just badly photoshopping it into all sorts of pictures. And it's like, oh. why is this funny? I'm not sure, but it was. <laughs> But it is. <laughs> and now it's going to be on. The yes. All your base. <laughs> well, I do have one question left, and this is going to sound like I snuck it in as well, but I swear I didn't. <laughs> um, one of our friends on Discord asked, what do you personally most love slash appreciate about Moonbase Day Out? <laughs> uh, God. I know. The, the, the depth and diversity of all of the characters. Mm. There's all these like s- smaller storylines, not small, but like mini storylines that interweave in this, this big one and everything flows in a way that feels natural. And all of the characters, love them or hate them, are, are well written and well rounded. Mm. Yeah, I would like to piggyback off of that and say that Moonbase Theater Out, for all its fantastical elements, for the fact that we all joke around about it's on the moon. <laughs> but ultimately, what I like about Moonbase Theater Out is that it's ultimately a story about people. Mm-hmm. No one is 100% good. No one is 100% bad. But they all interconnect with each other in really interesting and nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. There is no single one word summarization of any of the relationships in Moonbase Theater Out. And there is a nuance that I think has been implemented wonderfully as the cast has grown and expanded so much. And uh, as Cole was saying, you really get to know these people and you get to see who they are. You get to watch them grow and change through all of these circumstances. And I I just think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. I would have to say, like, go back to something I've said probably like two, three times (laughs) throughout this interview. Like, one of the things I love about this show is just the way it's grown, specifically. Um, Like, going from season one, single narrator, and season two, telling that same story, just letting all those people tell the story themselves, and seeing it grow and like getting to go through the heartbreak <laughs> of the same <laughs> tragedies happening a second time. And then, but because of getting to see more of that story, just having a, you know, just a little bit more of that desperation <sighs> sprinkled with hope for a little spice, you know, and then <laughs> season three, just because of that hope and that desperation that we've gotten season three, just, the bigness of it, just feeling that so much more because we you took the time to go through the story twice in that way and expand in that way. And just literally <laughs> the word unfolding works so well here because it just feels like it's this big, huge thing that's been so compact and now getting to see it unfold throughout the season. And to speak to that, I think the thing I really, really appreciate this about the show, and of course it's from a producer perspective, is the risk that you take from season to season. The first season had the mm-hmm. the monologues, and the, to me the great risk in that was 
it being told in reverse and doing kind of a countdown style um, where the beginning, the end is the beginning. That was a great risk that paid off very well. And then you took another risk by retelling the story from different perspectives. And the risk there is, is that, okay, you know, people may say, well, you're telling the same story, but it still worked because you could do it from different perspectives and make it interesting, fresh and new. And then the third risk of doing full casts where you've moved into complete dialogue, doing something different with each season is a risk. And I think it's beautiful to see those risks taken. And I think the paths are always huge when they work and they do work really well mm-hmm. from season yes. to season. So Agreed. that mm-hmm. I, I'm hats off. I applaud, you know, French chef's kiss, chef's French kiss, whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't want to mix those two up. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, right now on um, Ninth World Journal, David and I are engaged in certain activities. So. It's, it's the best crossover. <laughs> well, I will definitely say that my answer to that question would be that my the thing I love most about the show is getting to work with so many amazing people and like, seeing it branch out and like getting to know each of you better and getting to write for you and... It's just honestly my favorite part about this at all. I did theater for 30 years practically and then moved into this. And I've never had a more direct connection with actors than I have on this show. And it's. Would really you mind? Today. I don't know if you feel this is the space for this. Would you mind talking about uh, creating for audio drama versus live theater? Yeah. Sure, I can try to <laughs> think about that for a moment. I think that well, there are a few things. Um, first of all, you don't have to think at all about whether the what the audience can see for sure. Um, you don't have to think about um, the audience getting restless because you know that you've that you're working in a format where they can pause if they need to, or they can take a break if they need to. One of the things we talked about when we were working on the last few episodes where some pretty big emotional stuff happens and people might need to take a break is um, one of the good things about this format as opposed to theater is you can talk about PTSD or you can talk about huge loss. And if people, if that's too much for people, they can stop for a minute, they can absorb it, they can come back. And so that was a big thing for me was being able to write stories and not, and know that I didn't have to slap the audience in the face with everything the way you kind of have to in theater, you have no choice, but the immediacy again, being able to edit is such a huge thing. I remember when I first started editing Lehman's um, monologues for season one, it was the first time I'd ever done any of it. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching myself and just the idea that you can adjust a pause Mm -hmm. until it feels right to you (laughs) was such a huge thing. But I feel like in the end, it's a lot more, and it might be because it's a, a, the way we're doing it is a younger art form, of course, like audio um, drama has been around for decades, but the way we're doing it now is a lot younger. And I feel like there are a lot more opportunities for collaboration. There are a lot more opportunities for new ideas and you have an audience that's more willing to accept them. So I don't know if it's as big a change in format, although other than, like I said, like writing for audio instead of for visual, but I feel like, it's a form that right now is very open to exploration in ways that theater I feel like is sort of lost. Mm. 
And again, serial, this is the first time I had ever written anything serial, anything that was longer than like a one hour play, by an hour, hour and a half play. And so the idea that I could keep expanding the story and keep telling new aspects of it mm-hmm. was a huge thing too. And I think, I feel like that's something that audio drama does in a different way than other serial art forms as well than like comic books or um, TV or things like that, that there isn't as much established structure already out there for the way the story has to be told. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I feel like there are a lot more chances to experiment. Like I certainly, if there, if I were doing this as a TV show, they would never have let me like do a second, <laughs> second season that was just retelling the first season. Right. <laughs> it kind of listening through the, I guess the evolution of, of Moonbase Theta was kind of very reminiscent of like listening to podcasts throughout like history and how they shaped and altered. I mean, like uh, uh, back with when we had like the black tapes or the bright sessions, and it was just listening to someone talking through a recorder um, yeah. or or monologuing. And then as we moved on to um, like bigger to 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 more shows and more people figuring out the ways to tell podcasts, we could hear it. We could hear Moonbase Theta growing along with it. Um, and now these days, you don't really see too many podcasts with like. Uh, with that same, I guess, restrictive narrative. But now we see bigger shows and bigger casts and everything is getting bigger and more well done and I- evolving. And it was it was very fun to to listen to as it grew. Did, did it, doesn't it seem that uh, in the early days of podcasting, the producers were and creators were afraid to create a fourth wall? Yeah. They had to feel like there was a mechanic of a conduit, which would be a found, found tapes kind of idea. Yes. Like we had to be a podcast, but like a self-referential, oh, someone is listening to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to be fair, it's only been like this season that we broke out of that. (laughs) Well, still, yes, but but also. (laughs) There's still the chimes that say, you know, we're listening to people now, but it's like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love when people do that, so I'm not even going (laughs) to. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> Please tell me why I'm listening to this. Oh, I'm listening to somebody's audio diary. How invasive! Please, right, cool. let me cringe. Thank you. Gotcha. Uh huh. I want to listen to someone's terrible diary. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, these are government stuff. Oh, please. I I loved I love to snoop. Thank you. Oh, even better. <laughs> That just led me to an interesting thought, and um, I might ask your opinion on a thing before we start closing things down. Um, One of the ways that um, we did change this year that was actually fairly unexpected was in putting sort of an outside um, framework around the show Mm -hmm. when we joined the Fable and Folly Network and had to start fitting in ads and trying to separate those so people knew they were ads. And so we added this outside framework where we have an announcer who is like sort of giving... Like these are archival recordings of moon bases and stuff like that. And I'm just interested in your opinion on how you feel like that changes the narrative because I go back and forth on it. It's something that was necessary. It's something that I don't, I don't feel like it's like ruined the show or anything, making that decision, Mm -hmm. but it definitely changed it this year. And I'd just be interested in getting your opinion as people who are involved with the show and who didn't get to make that decision. Like a lot of you are creators of your own work as well, and yeah. might have the chance to make that decision at some point. It it definitely felt adaptive 
Uh, as in, because no one, no one likes ads, but sometimes you have to put them in. And I think the way that you've done it felt very, like, smooth, but at the same time, it also added an extra sense of, oh, the story continues even after we stop listening to it. There is someone who is going back and archiving these tapes. Mm. So does that make us someone who is uh, listening back to this like a hundred years after, or is it a couple weeks or what happens after the story is done to lead us as listeners to hear it? Yeah, it kind of gives away to a small point, the fact that like, I don't get to end this all with like the earth and flames. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you just make the last broadcast. Like we get uh, Evan in Evan Tess Murray, of course, doing the, the announcer voice amazing at it. Um, get Evan in to, to do a last Fantastic. broadcast. It's like, I got into the booth one last time. I just wanted to say goodbye. <laughs> 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 there you go. Or the story needs to be heard. <laughs> I, I just having to do that, um, understanding that it is part of the network, I, I, I could see how it would be pretty challenging to, to serve two masters in the way that you are injecting ads. You, they're, they're meant to sound organic and part of the series, uh, and still try to honor the, the sponsor by making sure that they realize that you're talking about uh, something present day that, you know, you're hawking the wares for essentially that you're saying, okay, here's something that I'm introducing to you that I want you to spend your money on where now, now I'm going to bring you back into the future. So I, it seems like a tricky balance and I don't envy you trying to pull that off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to piggyback off of that because in general, um, as was kind of mentioned before, ads, podcasts, they kind of have to go together. But I've always been of the opinion that if you can't hide it, feature it. And Mm. I I always love when ads are adaptive, immersive, they feel like they're part of the story. Because I think there is a difference from a listener perspective of one of the actors is taking a complete cold break from the story to read ad copy versus an in-universe character entity integrating that object the story and into the universe while still making it clear it's an ad it's a balancing act but i find that most listeners enjoy that a lot more if it's you know main character or zany best friend who is talking about uh whatever product happens to be featured and it also and this is just me being a little bit of a nerd about old school radio dramas and old school television is that it harkens back to the old days where it would be the main actor of the the soap opera or the TV show in general, that would be the one presenting the ads. Yeah. So it had that feeling of a trusted voice that you listen to regularly telling you about a product. Um, so there's nothing new under the sun. It's all been done before. So I feel like having that, that ad be, you know, a little bit more fun, essentially. Uh, it's a balancing act, but I think if it's done well, it can be part of the listening experience and not something that, the listener has to put up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's how it comes across in in this show. Yeah, yeah, we definitely tried a lot. I mean, there are certain ads that we just do um, host read, which is mean, which means Cass or I just read them as ourselves, um, because they're things that I don't really feel fit very well into 
the Mooniverse, which I'm not allowed to use anymore because I found out that's used for something else. But um, dang it, <laughs> I know. But 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 the stuff that we write that is in universe, I try really hard to make sure that it fits the characters, that it fits the story we've already told. One of the Dipsy ads, I think it's run by now, that um, Jen does. Regen reads us Tumnus takes us to some places with Tumnus that haven't been explored before and that actually wound up feeding into the bonus episode that I wrote for her that that comes at the end after the season. So like there are things that have like intertwined back and forth between the ad reads. So that's really been interesting too, but it was still definitely like a choice, a big choice we had to make to put this entire outside framework on the show that pulls you out of it for a minute or two Mm -hmm. to read an ad. I think the choice to make it the voice of the the enclave uh, announcer definitely helps because I, I guess it helps us ride that line between we're, we're a show that's very much uh, has a bit of an anti-corporate kind of like situation going on. So how do you sell ads within that? Well, you just kind of give the corporation a very friendly voice. You put, you make it Evan's voice is what you do. hundred <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, percent. Exactly. And then, and then it's sort of like, oh, well, okay, but this is, this is, you know, a more palatable. And then I tried to, I guess I, I do a lot of the ad um, like editing and stuff. So I, I always try to make it obvious that it's an ad, try to make it, you know, a pleasant experience as much as possible. I try to always put music behind ads because that's something we just generally don't like other than, you know, di- diegetic music in the show. We don't have a lot of music just randomly playing. Um, so that helps to kind of be like, hey, we're just taking you a little bit out. But we want to still, you know, situate it within something that makes sense for you to be hearing on this feed from the consortium or whatever. So anyway, it's been kind of fun to to try to figure out how to how to do that. And yeah, it led me to to developing a different static sound, which is the consortium is cutting in (laughs) and going, hey, hey, you're listening to something else now or, you know, closing out the broadcast just so that, um, you know, it's just a little bit of a like if you hear that, it's like, aha, we're we're cutting away now. You're listening to an ad. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, um, the Fable and Folly folks, and I mean Sean in particular, um, have been really good about not only like working with all the shows they, that they've brought into their network, but allowing us to have final call on things as well. I mean, obviously, when we write an ad, we have to run it by the advertisers. But as far as like who we decide to run ads for... It's always been our call. There have definitely been things that we didn't feel quite comfortable with or didn't feel like really appealed to our audience that we've said no to, and there's never been any pushback on that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they've really like worked with us to make it fit the show as well. And I didn't intend for that to be like a 15 minute (laughs) diversion at the end of the interview, but there it is. Um, I don't want to keep the rest of you for too long. Were there any final thoughts, anything that you wanted to fit in that we haven't talked about yet? Get out your soapbox. (laughs) I don't know. Question that probably a lot of people have been asking. Are you, when when are we working on season four? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, hey, season four. Season four, which at the moment is expected to be the final season of Moonbase Theta Out. Season four is not even a twinkle in my eye yet. It is there is <laughs> there is probably two pages of of random notes that be just from things that have come up. We're writing season three, and I was like, okay, we have to is resolve that. We have to resolve that. 
But right now, um, we're finishing up production work on the postseason bonus episodes. We're starting work on um, the miniseries, All Your Base, which we talked about a little bit ago. And I have two of the eight scripts written for those. So I've got a lot of writing still to do on that. (laughs) What I'm hoping is by... July or August at the latest, I'll be able to start sitting down and just spending time plotting season four out and writing season for season four. But I also expect that to be a very long process. So, because it is going to be huge. If that is going to be the last season as planned, it is going to have a lot to tie up in one season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to make sure to ask because like there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to be listening just to know the answer to that question. So there, there definitely is a season four. Um, as far as I know, all of you in this chat have a place in that. Oh, good, we don't like die off screen mysteriously. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think any of you have disappeared by that point. So um, yeah. It is definitely in the plans and it is going to be massive. <laughs> I'm hoping not to add too many more actors, but there's going to be a few. Any other questions, final thoughts, final messages to our folks out there? I just want to say it's been it's been a lot of fun uh, season 3. The the dynamics with the science bros. Of course yeah. there's more than just science bros here in this in this conversation, but uh, the extra <laughs> layer on earth 2 has been has been really really fun to see kind of the how the world has unfolded. So the, both of those things have been really, really, mm-hmm. really, it's been fun to play in it and it's been fun to listen to. It's been a great journey. <laughs> I honestly don't think it was until the first um, scene where I sat down and like acted back and forth with Shade until the Enclave officer really came together. Yeah. Like I had done bits in season two and then I did a before the moon with Cass, but I think the character didn't really come together until Sade and I were like jabbing back and forth in that first scene. <laughs> nice. Loved it. Loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, if everyone else is good, um, Cass, I'm going to ask you to say a little farewell message to our audience. I can do that. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for coming out. Um, and just to remind everybody who you've been listening to, you have been listening to Shade, Cole, Leslie, David, Hazel, and of course, Deej and myself, the co-producers of this lovely show. And we really appreciate all of your support uh, through season three. It has been a wild ride and we cannot wait to bring you more. So keep your eyes on the moon. <laughs> you can't say it that way. It's keep no, watching. Well, why don't you... I write I write a catchphrase and <laughs> You gotta you gotta change it up sometimes. Also Evan's gonna say <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, folks. Um thank you very much, actors. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. So this is the end of the world. Pretty weird, right? I'm Hannah. I'm sure you've probably noticed by now. I'm a zombie. I didn't even be the last one. From the creator of Redmond Born and Cybernautica. I can't exactly control most of the things zombie me does. I'm basically what amounts to a backseat driver in my own body. You learn to kind of just go with it after a while, I think. Like, do I feel bad for eating a family of four when I was new? You bet! 
Not exactly my favorite memory. Anna is living her best unlife, while unknowingly being on a crash course with Callie, an explorer desperately seeking to leave her mark on an American wasteland that seems to be all out of new discoveries. Oh, one might say that it's the comics that got me into this, but between you and me, I'm gonna blame the McSodas. No sense in ruining everything I like in one day. Together, this unlikely pair team up against the dangers of post-apocalyptia. <sighs> okay, okay, this thing is not playing around at all. Shit incoming! Sometimes I miss the old days. Killing zombies for upstart communities, now that was a lot more simple. A lot more ethical, too. Wouldn't you say so? Don't you think it's a little more ethical to kill a zombie than just some stranger on the road? Apocalypse, A story about love, death, and robots. Just not the next guy.